Coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. But the current was so heavy that it knocked me down. And I was holding this brand new, I was holding this brand new G Loomis ask with, and I wasn't, I wasn't letting go of it. And uh, so, so I was swimming for a good two minutes. And luckily I had my waiter belt tight and, you know, waiter jacket was fine. And I, I, there was no way I was going down. I wasn't letting the river take me today, but it is, it is a common thing that, um, you know, older men die on the salmon river. It's, it's like a, it's a known saying in Norway. That was John Bond with his brush with death while chasing down a salmon dream. Heading into Norway by way of Montana today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how you doing today? Thanks for stopping by the show. One of the best and easiest ways to support this podcast is click through our sponsors' websites. You can do that really easy by going to wetflyswing.com slash sponsors, or just clicking through any of the websites and links you hear in today's episode or any in the past. Thanks for your support if you have a chance to check in with our sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Maverick Fly Fishing. They make the lightest Euro-nymphing reel in the world, which makes your rod more sensitive, casting more accurate, and you can hold your dead drifts longer without shoulder burn. Check out Maverick Fly Fishing Stinger and their other Euronymph products and support this podcast by heading over to wetflyswing.com slash maverick right now. That's maverick, M-A-V-R-K, wetflyswing.com slash maverick. Check out the lightest and most unique Euronymphing reel right now. Today's episode is sponsored by Zag.Fish, who creates ethically sourced premium fly time materials with their 5D brushes. These are the Fairflies brushes that we've talked about before. Zag.Fish is the place you can go to pick up Fairflies products and the other stuff they have going on in the fly tying uh, niche. 5D brushes contain the perfect portions to tie great streamer, bass flies, saltwater flies, and we're going to be using some of these flies even more as we do some of these saltwater drips. You can check out uh, zag.fish right now by heading over to wetflyswing.com slash zag. That's Z-A-G. John Bond is here to take us into Fishing Norway and the amazing journey and lodge program that he's put together across the pond. We find out how streamers change John's game and his life. We find out how he swings for brown trout. Plus, we hear about how he moved his drift boat and all of his gear to Norway during COVID. Great story here, and to hear the journey John's on and making it over there. We got Rambo, T-Bone, Beefcake, The Dragon, lots of names and great stories today from one of the guys leading the way in fly fishing. Here we go. John Bond from RainaFishCamp.com. How's it going, John? It's going good. Things are good up here in Norway. Yeah, yeah, this is exciting. We've done, uh, let's see, we've done a couple of episodes around that area. Uh, it's been a little while. I think we talked, well, we're going to talk about a few species that we've covered in the past, but I think we're going to go a little deeper. And, and you have a basically a camp, a lodge out there. We're going to talk about that as well. And you've done a lot of fishing in Montana, so you, you've got both things covered, and we're going to talk about some of the differences there. But uh, take us back really quickly just on fly fishing, how you first got into it, and then how you came to own a Norwegian uh, fly fishing lodge. Yeah, so um, it all started with my parents. Um, my dad's an old Vietnam vet, and he found fly fishing um, at a very young age. And after he got married with uh, to my mother, 
they both got into it probably uh, back in the 60s, 70s. And I kind of just grew up doing it. I would go with um, my parents to Pennsylvania, to Penn's Creek, and learn how to fish there and mess around on the fine rivers of Pennsylvania. Um, we also had a really nice river in our backyard. The uh, Oh, man, I'm having a brain fart here, but it's... In Pennsylvania? No, no, this is back in Massachusetts. Um, the Deerfield River. It's been a long time since I've been in Massachusetts, but grew up on the Deerfield. Um, didn't do a ton of fishing there. More, more of it was when I was 11, 12, 13, back in Pennsylvania, just family trips on the weekends. And then, you know, doing some fishing up in Maine, um, taking trips with my family all over the East Coast, never made it to Montana with my family. But when I was um, in my early 20s, I decided that Montana was the destination for me. That was kind of the game plan there. So you started out East, or you were in the East, grew up out there. And then how did the Montana thing come where you were like, okay, I want to go to Montana? Was that like you made a trip out there or you watched something or how'd that work? No, I mean, pretty much my whole life, my, my mom and dad talked about Montana. My dad had fly fishing magazines around the house and he would always talk about Montana, you know, and the fishing out there. And he, he owned his own business. He owned a small country store and, you know, he worked his ass off like 13 hour days every day. And he would take a one week vacation with his friends up to Maine and do some fly fishing way up in the border of Canada. Um, and they call themselves the nerds, the new England recreational drinking society. And yeah, they would just fish their asses off. And, uh, this is, you know, back in the late seventies, eighties and nineties. And it was one of those things I, I, you know, got through school and went up to Vermont and was a butcher for a long time up there. And, um, during the summers, I would be a part-time fly fishing guide in Vermont and, it was just, you know, I had a couple friends that fly fished. I mean, this is like early 2000s, mid 2000s. And it was hard for me to find anybody else to fish with. And that was my dreams, like always to have like people to go out with and, you know, fish with. So, so I was guiding a little bit back in, in Vermont. And uh, I had this situation where I was selling a fly rod. I was selling a fly rod because I had four or five weights and, you know, I didn't need to have four of them. And I, I was planning on moving to Montana. I didn't have a, a, an actual plan. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a house. It was just like, this is the destination. I'm in my early 20s. All I'm doing is fishing, working, and partying. And, you know, I just want to be able to fish all year. And so I put an ad on Craigslist. This guy came up and, or, you know, sent me a message saying he wanted to buy the rod. I told him I'd sell it to him that same day. I went to a fly shop and bought a brand new, you know, I think it was a Sage Z axis at the time. And then I was like, Oh God, now I really need to sell the rod. And so I, I, I go and meet up with the dude who wanted the older rod and I go to sell it to him. And he says, so why are you selling this fly rod? I'm like, ah, I've got this plan to move to Montana and I'm just downgrading on, I'm getting rid of the stuff I don't need anymore. And he says, it's funny, I've got two sons that live in Bozeman, Montana, and they're around your age. And I was like, oh my, that's crazy. And then, you know, he gave me his son's information and we started talking through Facebook and we wound up being good friends. And after a few months, he's sending me messages telling me about the fishing and he says, hey, guess what? 
and and this is a good friend of mine named Tommy Urell. And at the time he was like a big fish guy. He fished hard. He was always getting after it. And he says, you know what? We have an apartment you know, on the second floor of our house that's up for grabs in a couple months. And so I said, dude, I want it. And I, I started looking around. So I was working at a butcher at like a local organic grocery store in Vermont. And there just happened to be one in Bozeman, Montana. And they've never had an actual butcher. So I filled out the application. They gave me the job. I had two weeks to get there. So I got rid of everything I owned. I had just my dog and I filled up a Jeep Cherokee. And in two weeks, I drove to Bozeman, Montana, never being there, not knowing anybody except for this guy, Tommy. And it was like a dream come true. I had an amazing apartment right downtown that was only like 300 bucks a month. Now it would literally be like a $2,000 apartment. You know, I had a job lined up and it was perfect. I didn't even care what I made as long as I was, uh, I was there. You know, I didn't care about the money. It was just, you know, I could fish before work. I can fish after work. And I was just learning and fishing so much when I got there. It was literally a dream come true for me. And having that guy, Tommy, as, uh, you know, my wingman and the guy to show me around was a great thing because he was in the middle of his, you know, figuring out big fish in Montana. You know, I, I grew up dry fly fishing, barely any nymphing. I would only like high stick a nymph and maybe high stick woolly buggers for brook trout back east. And I get to Montana, it's like 2010, and everyone's like, you know, these streamers are really working. And I'm like, what the Kelly Gallup set dungeon? What is this? But my first time really streamer fishing was on the Missouri in 2010. And, you know, I throw out a, I can't, I think it was a Sculpzilla. I threw it out there and they're like, just strip it, strip it back really hard, strip it back really hard. And I had a rainbow hit it, you know, bam, hit it like a ton of bricks. And I couldn't believe that's how fish would react to a streamer at that time. And it totally changed everything, you know, for me personally, because it was everything I wanted in a fly fishing situation where they hit it so hard, I can barely control it. And it, you know, adrenaline rush, roller coaster, just thinking about it makes me excited, you know? So that kind of changed my path in fly fishing for a number of years, you know, where I've caught a lot of fish growing up through my childhood, but I always wanted those 24 to 30 inch fish, you know, those bigger fish, fish that were going to make me work for to land them. And uh, I also, you know, just that feeling of, I've got a big fish. I don't want this to get away. That that adrenaline rush of, you know, that moment of like, make it or break it. Everything counts on the way I handle this bigger fish. And it's, you know, when you hook into those bigger fish, it's like the game changes. You know, they have a lot more power. They can they can get off a lot easier. They're the ones that call the shots in some situations. And uh, yeah, definitely, it's it's an addictive feeling. Yeah, it is. It is. So I, I spent, you know, the, the next three or four years just focusing on my streamer fishing, especially, you know, being a guy who grew up fishing, wade fishing his whole life, never being in a boat until I moved to Montana. You know, three months after I moved to Montana, I bought a boat and the boat, it was only a, you know, a $5,000 boat, but that boat was worth more than my $3,000 Jeep Cherokee. <laughs> That's awesome. So your boat was, you had a more expensive boat than your vehicle. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know, those are my priorities, you know, and I, I had a lot of like old gear that was hand-me-down stuff for my folks and it, it all worked though. You know, I didn't need fancy stuff to get the job done. It was just about me getting out there and, you know, slowly I built a quiver of better fishing equipment, but 
it was more of just like you know the lifestyle every day you know work was just work it was a means to get me to the river you know after a couple of years of doing that um i got a job at a, as a bartender at the filling station in bozeman so i was butchering during the day and bartending at night so i would work four full days eight in the morning till two or three in the morning very long days and then i would have three days off to fish and i would usually pick weekdays because the weekends were a little bit busier and weekdays are just the only people you really got to worry about are the guides so i had a couple good friends that i fished with all the time one of my good friends david um he's a little bit older and spent a lot of time on the bighorn and fishing all over montana and wyoming and he loves to row the boat and i was like dude this is like the best friendship on the planet i get to fish and he rows the boat and i really dialed in my streamer fishing and you know one day in particular i think it was uh 2013 on the yellowstone you know i was bartending at the filling station every sunday night we would do a fly tying night and you know i was fishing the cheech leech a lot but i wanted something a little bit beefier something that pushed more water because being back in bozeman I, you know, I fished the Madison, I'd fished, you know, the Jefferson, the big hole, but I spent most of my time on the Yellowstone just because I love the river. I love how wild it was. And I had some luck early on on the Yellowstone. So it really, it captivated my soul. And so, you know, being on the Yellowstone most of the time, I was tying these flies that were a little bit beefier than the Cheech Leech, moved more water you know, using a lot of marabou, a little bit of flash and some Arctic Fox for the head. And I got really lucky, uh, 2013, it was a muddy day on the river. There was like, you know, three different sections of the Yellowstone that were muddied up. So, you know, we had maybe a foot of visibility and in some places there was less than a foot of visibility and wasn't, you know, started off the day, didn't catch a lot of fish. But, you know, in the middle of the day, in between the mud plugs, I moved a really big male brown trout. It came up to the surface to eat my fly, but something went wrong. Maybe I was too excited. I set the hook too early and he was gone. You know, about an hour later, I was fishing my fly a little bit back behind the boat. So I threw it out, you know, on the right side and let it sink down without giving it a lot of action, just kind of letting it swing. Um, while, while being in the boat and kind of going with the flow of the river. And, you know, I could tell that it was getting deep. I could feel it kind of bumping on the bottom slightly, you know, mending the line slightly forward. So there's a good arch in the fly line, really swinging tight to the, to the river flow. And boom, all of a sudden I thought I hit the bottom and then it started moving. And it was like a 28 inch female brown trout that was just super plump and, you know, really shiny, not a lot of gold to her, but that fish changed, you know, everything for me. I wasn't fishing necessarily super hard. I was just kind of letting the fly do its thing, you know, and this is our, this is the the fly that I am a signature tire with, with Umqua, which is called, it's called the dragon. Before it was called the beefcake, you know, I'd get out there, I'd drink a couple beers and I'd be like, beefcake. Oh, I like the beefcake. The beefcake's good. Yeah, it, it was good. It was really good. Why'd you change it from beefcake to the dragon? Or did they do that? It was the beefcake for a long time. But then like when I was, you know, jumping forward, when I was working for Yellowstone Angler, we were working on the fly for Umqua and it was going to be the beefcake. And then that same year, some guy took the name and came out with a beefcake hopper that isn't around anymore. 
And then, you know, there's some haters out there because I catch some pretty big fish on it. And people think I just drag it on the bottom where, you know, I swing it. It's more of a swing. Everyone does the same thing. They throw it to the bank and strip it back to the boat. They play one foot of water, you know, and the same depth of water. And they stick to the same speed where if you throw it to the bank and let it swing off the bank, you can play from five inches to a foot to four feet of the whole bank. And you get to you don't just fish it for 50 feet of the bank you can fish it for 100 feet of the bank it stays in the water it stays in the zone in my opinion it's a little more effective and there's you know there's different techniques for different situations but for the yellowstone and the big hole letting it swing off the bank is deadly so people would be like oh you're just dragging it and i'm like yo drag on and that's but i also like bruce lee the fly kicks ass so it's the dragon oh right right the dragon that's right well, no, that's good. I want to just summarize that because that's pretty awesome. So, and you talked about swinging because a lot of times we, and we've had Kelly on, you know, talking about, we had another people talking about streamers, right? Where we've talked about that, but yeah. you don't hear the, the, you don't hear the swinging a lot as much. You know what I mean? It seems like, you no. know, swinging's the old, like right, maybe that's not the way to do it. But I mean, you, you find that swinging streamers is an effective way. I'd say 90% of my, my big fish in Montana are on the swing from, from the boat. You know, I mean, I would fish the Gallatin and I would swing flies there and it's good. You, you definitely catch fish doing it. Um, the way that I've designed that fly is, is so it, it swings super effectively. It looks like a dying fish that's swimming on its side or swimming upside down and just going with the flow of the river, you know, and it, it just seems to work. You know, it was more of like, uh, Hey, I'm just doing this because I'm lazy, taking a sip of my beer and then bam, I get a fish to, this is the way I'm going to fish this fly from now on. You want to be in the front of the boat? That's fine. I'll be in the back swinging. That's like, uh, instead of casting directly across to the bank, when you're in the boat, it's slightly back behind you, mending the line downstream slightly and getting a very tight swing on it. And, you know, being in the boat, it allows you to play the bank for hundred to a thousand feet you know i've been on the big hole where there's a steady long bank um with a slight curve to it and i can play the whole thing on one cast as long as the person rowing stays on the program as well like if you row too hard and you slow the boat down it doesn't work if you go too fast oh right so you're floating yeah you're not anchored up you're actually drifting down no yeah yeah you're drifting down so the person has to you got to have somebody who's kind of on the same you know level and, but but I've applied this technique to nymph fishing as well, like not necessarily the swing, but keeping the pace of the river instead of going too slow. You know, if you row too hard, the person doesn't get a good drift. It slows down. You don't get the swing, right? Yeah, they, they just have to keep casting instead of keeping the fly in the zone for a longer period of time. And I'm not saying I invented this. Shit. I'm not saying I was the first one, but I definitely don't know anybody else who was doing this as much as I was. No. I can tell you it is, it's true because I mean, the streamer episodes we've done, it seems like everybody always talks about, I, because, you know, obviously the wet fly swing is kind of, you know, our title of the show, you know, we cover everything, yeah. but you know, it's an old school method, right? People think of it like, yeah. Oh, swinging flies, you know, that's the old way, you know, you got to strip streamers, you got to do that. So it's good to hear that, you know, there, and obviously like a lot of things, there's different ways to do it, but so you're doing this. So when you're in there, I mean, what are you doing for line? I mean, how are you getting this thing down deeper or what, what's your fly line look like? To be honest, I don't use a really heavy uh, sinking line. I use a scientific angler sink tip sink six, you know, and it's like, it gets down. Like I can, if I back mend it, I can get it down deeper. If I forward mend it, I can keep the pace of the river a little bit quicker. And, you know, if I need to get down a lot deeper, I use a heavier fly, 
you know, I use the flies that I tie are kind of buoyant so that they sink a little bit, but I can control where they are in the water column. And that's been really the key to my success is kind of controlling where it is and where it's swimming. And I mean, you can never just throw a fly in there and just let it drag and let it do. You're going to get caught up. I'm, I'm constantly moving it just slightly. You know, I'm putting it in a position where my mind's eye is telling me like this is at the bottom of the bank where the, the bank and the river bottom meet. It's kind of right on that edge. And that's where it's swimming, you know, jumping through the rocks or whatever it, you know, may be. And you're right, like 90% of people are doing the same thing. They're stripping streamers. And I love to strip streamers. That's how I started. I throw a, a dungeon to the bank and strip it right back and do the same thing over and over again. And for maybe the, the first five years in Montana, it worked well. But then all of a sudden, it wasn't working as good. And the way I look at it is that those fish that I was catching early in 2010, 2011, 12, those fish hadn't grown up with thousands of people throwing streamers. And by 2015, the fish that were adults that were big enough to eat the streamer had grown up with so many more people throwing big streamers on a regular basis. So you had, for me, it was like, you got to come up, try different, you know, I'm not going to spend all day doing the same thing without any results. And it's not like, I wasn't concerned about numbers of fish. I wasn't concerned about, you know, getting 10, 18 to 20 inch fish. I want, I was constantly looking for the fish that was going to kick my ass. Yeah. The big one, you know, those next level fish. Yeah. This is good. And, and I mean, this is awesome. I think, you know, there's probably a lot more on the Montana thing we can dig into, but I, I wanted to kind of, you know, ask a question, maybe transition into kind of what you have going now, but when you look at the Browns and probably a lot of people out there, you know, West have caught some Brown trout or East, East as well. But when you think of the Browns in Montana versus the Browns in Norway, you know, what, is there a big difference there between the fish or the fishing or just that whole thing? The Browns that are in Montana are mostly the German Browns and they're really aggressive and they get these really cool noses and cool shapes. And, you know, especially the ones on the Yellowstone, they're, real predatory fish that don't have any other predators in the ecosystem. The, the brown trout here in Norway, at least on my river, have pike to deal with. So they're a little more skittish when it comes to eating the streamer all the time. But, you know, there's days where I'm on the river where we catch 20 to 25 trout. Not all huge, but there's big potential for um, a very large fish here in Norway. So. So the, the brown trout in Norway are definitely like a different species. They're Scandinavian brown trout that were at one point, you know, sea trout that got locked into lakes when the glaciers melted. And so the brown trout here are definitely a little bit darker, but still very aggressive. And they have definitely um, more of like a salmon shape to them. You know, they get big backs. They, they don't get super long, but they get really heavy. The trout in this river on Reina River in Norwegian, they call it Reina Elva. They get this really orange copper look to them that's very unique. I mean, there's other places in Scandinavia where you can see fish like this, but this river in particular has, they have this really amazing color to them and uh, these really big black dots, um, very slight blue halo around the cheek, but this orange colored, copper colored fish, they're just so unique. And, uh, you know, uh, about four years ago, there was a spin fisherman, or maybe it was like six years ago now, but uh, some years ago, a spin fisherman here caught a 20-pound brown trout, 17.7 kilos, 
you know, it's probably like 34 inches, just a monster. I mean, it looked like a salmon. And my first season here on the third day, uh, one of my friends here, Christopher, that works at a fly shop in Oslo called Vok, he, uh, we became friends early on and, you know, I brought some drift boats over to Norway and we went out on a trip on the third day. You know, Christopher had never fished out of a boat before, but he's a fishy guy. And he was using my fly, the dragon, um, swinging it at the very end of the day and wound up catching like a 25 inch brown trout that was thick and stacked. And it, it, it kind of rested my, my heart and my mind knowing that, you know, I knew that these fish existed in this river system, but to see one in person on my third day of fishing since I moved here was astonishing. So it, it was a, it was a good thing. I got a message from Johnny at Kelly Gallup shop saying, John, good job. I see why you moved there. But, you know, I missed the trout back in, in Montana. And, you know, when I was living in Montana, I was young and I could fulfill all my childish fantasies of fishing all the time. And, you know, after some years of working and living in Bozeman, I bought a house in Livingston, Montana. And one of my best friends, uh, James Anderson, a Yellowstone angler, offered me a job guiding because, you know, we, we fished together all the time. He knows I put my heart into it. Um, James Anderson gave me the best opportunity of my life. And he, James Anderson's one of the fishiest people I've ever met. And he's, he's super like low key, doesn't, he's no ego, non-bragging, but he grew up with some of the best fishermen on the planet. His dad being George Anderson, but Jamie's just like, you know, yep, he got, he's got it low key. Yeah. He's, he's the man, but he, he kind of opened the door to my guiding industry or my, my guiding life and showing me the industry and, you know, assist, assisting me with the right moves and like, yo, you've got a fly here. That's killer. You should probably put it in Umqua before somebody else rips it off those kind of things. And that, you know, seeing how the fly shop worked and how to be successful. Um, so kind of jumping forward in 2017, I took a trip with my wife to Norway, my wife's Norwegian. And we had, at that time we had one daughter, and, um, you know, we came over to Norway to visit her family, but she said, Hey, take two weeks with one of my friends over here. One, one of my friends, Jake, um, was like, Hey, I'll, I'll show you around Norway. We'll do some fishing and I'll, I'll introduce you to some of the waters here in Norway. And so my first two weeks of being in Norway, I got to fish all over the place, but it was late September. And the only, one of the only river systems that were open was the Reina river. So we came here for uh, five days and, you know, I brought a couple water masters from Montana to Jake because he wanted some boats over here. And so we floated the Raina river and I got to know it. And, you know, we caught a lot of grayling. We caught, uh, you know, a couple small brown trout, but nothing, nothing mega, nothing huge. But I saw the Raina fish camp and I met the owner and he said, you know, we, we might be selling this in a couple years. And jokingly, I said to him, well, if there was ever a way that I would move from Montana to Norway, it would be to buy the fish camp. And uh, so it was kind of in the back of my mind, but kind of like, you know, pardon my French, but it, it was a idea. It was, it, I, I was never, I was at that point, I was never going to leave Montana, never. And then in, in uh, 2019, my wife gets pregnant um, and we're, we're going to have another baby girl. So at that point, I started thinking, okay, this isn't all about me anymore. I've got two kids to worry about on a fishing guide salary. How long am I going to be able to do this? Montana's getting a little crowded. It's not what it used to be. 
the guide scene is good, but you know, people get aggressive and nasty when, when it comes to other people taking their business. And I didn't want it to be about money. That's one thing like the guide scene in Montana has kind of become like everyone's, you know, they, they just want to get as many days as they can to make as much money as they can. And then they go to the bar and talk about their clients. And I'm like, this isn't what I signed up about, you know, signed up for. I want to enjoy my time with these people that I'm trying to teach. And, you know, the end result is making memories and having a good time. So the idea of Norway became even more kind of, you know, palatable. It was one of those things like, you know, I'm, I've, I've lived my dream here in Montana. I got to experience everything I wanted to, not, ev not everything, but I got to live my dream. And it was more of like, uh, there's nobody else guiding in Norway, like really, really guiding. No kidding. Well, there's some salmon guides. And then there's a couple, you know, my buddy, Martin, he's a guide here on the Raina river. He works for us, but also does his own independent thing. He's great. Um, this other guy, Tore that lives about an hour away in Elvrum. That's a, another Norwegian town. He He's very good and skilled. And I'm sure there's some other guides, but a lot of people come to Norway for the salmon fishing. Today's episode is sponsored by Country Financial. The fires in the Northwest and throughout the West in, in the last few years have been devastating for thousands of people. Uh, those folks, some folks have lost their homes, their belongings, uh, and their sense of safety has all been challenged. This is why insurance and protecting your assets are so critical. Dalton at Country Financial is here, and he was on the front lines during the fires, handing out checks to Country Financial community members, providing drinks, food, and more. And each time Dalton meets up with a client, he does an extensive review of their current assets and coverage. This is his opportunity to really decide and let you know what you need uh, to make educated decisions for your insurance needs. This is a super critical piece. And Dalton Roy, Roy loves it. He loves getting out in the rural community, connecting with people, loves the outdoors, fishing, hunting, everything that goes with it. And so I'm excited to be sharing uh, Country Financial and Dalton with you. The unexpected will happen, so it's always best to make sure your assets and life are protected. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash country right now to get started. That's C-O-U-N-T-R-Y. Check out Dalton and support this podcast in a great local company right now. Yeah, that's the first thing. When you hear Norway, like for me, I was like, okay, Atlantic salmon. I know there's obviously browns and grayling, but I mean, I think that is the first thing. Like, let's go Atlantic salmon fishing, right? Yeah, yeah. And no doubt, Norway has probably the best Atlantic salmon fishing in the world. And that was another bonus for me to move here. It's like, all right, I can do, I've been doing trout my whole life and I'll have a, a little window every season to get out and do some salmon fishing, which is just a, a big bonus. Have you gone for those guys yet? Yeah. Um, last, not last season, but my first season here in 2021, I was, uh, invited by some, some friends to go on a salmon trip. And uh, my buddy Ahead and T-Bone, they locked in some really fantastic water on the Orkla River. And it was, you know, salmon fishing can be really expensive. But they they dialed it in and gave me the option. I can come for a week or I can come for four days. So, you know, with a few hundred bucks, I got to fish some of the best water on Orkla for four days. And it, these guys that salmon fish, they're on another level. They fish 20 hours a day, sleep a couple hours. They follow the tides. 
it's a complete different ball game and they they really work the water you know and i'm not good with a two-handed rod i've got plenty of practice ahead of me but um i watched the way these guys fish uh, my buddy t-bone in particular he torbjorn he is a ninja when it comes to the salmon fishing he grew up doing it so he walked me through the basics and i watched him and i missed my first four fish by trout setting i i you, you'd feel the tickle of the fly and then i just lift the rod and that's not what you're supposed to do what are you supposed to do when you get a little tickle you're supposed to let them eat it. You keep the rod down and you let them eat it. You let them run. So don't do anything. Don't do anything. You know, some people will hold a loop, you know, like they'll have a little bit of running line. They'll hold a loop and they'll let it go. Um, after my time at Orkla, I got to go to uh, Matt Hayes's salmon lodge. Uh, it's called Windsness and it's some of the best water in Norway. It was a complete like luck of the draw situation. Um, and he taught me a lot. And, there i hooked two fish and landed one but i also went i I fell in the river twice and one time i almost died but i was lucky enough to land one of the fish and it was based on all everything that they taught me and uh, i finally got the the muscle memory to dull down a little bit and i let the fish eat it and so i felt the tickle i let go of the line and i just let it run and then after about 50 seconds of it running i lifted very hard and really stuck the hook into its mouth. And it was, you know, it was midsummer's night. So it was the longest day of the year. It was midnight. And I had, a, I fought the fish for like, you know, 30 minutes easily. And like Matt Hayes and his father-in-law and this other guy, who's just, this guy's probably the best salmon fisherman I ever met. His name's Rambo. I forgot his real name. He's like a Norwegian friggin' SWAT team guy. He works, he's a police officer. He works for the SWAT he they his nickname's rambo and you know i called him like hey i got my first fish get down here and help me land it i look through the bushes the dude is running through the friggin thick norwegian grass with a net like it's a friggin machine gun running so fast to come help me with this fish and you know these guys have been living on this river seen salmon you know 30 40 50 pounds and they look at my fish and they say john this fish is kicking your ass and it's it's not even that big. Imagine if it was 20 kilos, you know, you know, cause it, it was around, it was around nine kilos, but to me, that's, a, that's a monster fish. What's that like? What's nine kilos of poundage? Oh God. I can't even remember. I think it's like 15 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Around 15. That that's another thing that's really tough is, you know, dealing with inches and feet my whole life and never weighing a fish ever to coming over here. Everybody weighs their trout, you know, 50 grams, two kilos. Oh, they do. Oh, everybody like, everybody's got a net so it's not a length thing no. it's not a length thing it's a weight well they definitely want the length but the weight the length isn't as important as the weight you know and i'm i'm getting used to you know i i would say oh that's like a two foot fish or an 18 inch fish you know and you know people here are like oh is it two kilos i'm like i, I think it's two kilos and it's like we put it in the net and it's not two kilos pardon my friend and i'm like oh my god this is this is it's difficult to to distinguish what a two kilo fish is, but that's the, those are the kind of things that are a little difficult to, you know, get used to, you know, is, is the, the links and measures and from weights to kilos and, but the salmon fishing's fun. Um, I would like to do more of it, but that's the tough thing with running this lodge is we have, so our lodge is, you know, it's not a typical American lodge. It's definitely like a European kind of thing. 
where you know we have you know six um studio apartment kind of things you know where we have a full living area private bathroom and like a mini kitchenette in each of the apartments and you know people can they don't book for a week you know they they can book for a week they can book for a month but they come and maybe spend two or three nights here at a time you know the river's right across the street we have a uh, pike pond in the backyard as well and the the cool thing about Raina river is that it's one of the only rivers that's open to the whole public with just buying a fishing license a lot of the rivers and and water systems in scandinavia and and in norway you've got to pay for the beat or you know there's a lot of people that own property and you know they'll they'll sell you a, a fishing license for you know a couple days and you only get to fish a certain area where this river the rivers association and the people that own the river um they've all come together and made the river open to the public with buying a fishing license what what town are you in what is what's the near what town are you actually in so we're we're in a town called Rena R E N A so you're just north of um you're kind of I'm just thinking Oslo so you're north of Oslo yeah, so we're we're about two and a half hours north of Oslo. Actually, the town that we're in is called Deset, but the closest actual town is Reina. And um, yeah, so we're we're about two hours from the airport, two and a half hours from Oslo. So it's a quick quick trip from the city. Um, you know, our river there's a, a thousand foot deep lake right above our river where there's you know it's a tailwater. So the the dam holds back a lot of cold you know really cold deep water um it never the lake never freezes over it's you know it's hard to explain how big it is but in montana terms it's there's a lake there called canyon ferry it's it's a little bit bigger than canyon ferry which is yeah i think it's like 40 miles long but it's only about three miles wide or something like that it's a glacier made lake and it's super deep very cold never freezes and the uh, the river that comes from the lake is Reina, and it's about it's about nine miles long. So it's not a you know back in Montana, I'd float the Yellowstone. I'd have thirty different floats to choose from because they're you know it's one hundred and forty miles of trout water. Where this river, it's nine miles, and there's one float, but the river flows into another lake that's man made and has another dam, and then there's another three miles of the Raina River before it flows into another river called the Gloma. So the, the Raina River has, I, I describe it to, to people like it's a mini Henry's Fork. It's got an amazing amount of aquatic vegetation and an amazing amount of aquatic bug life. The bug life is really astonishing. The biomass is just absurd. And the reason, the reason why our fish are so big are is because of that there's not as many fish per mile as like the madison or the yellowstone but most of the fish are large and there's a lot more big fish that don't get caught this river gets busy and it's well known and you know there's legendary fishermen that come here from sweden denmark all over the place but when people are like oh the river was busy i i laugh at it because it's it's not busy at all compared to montana you know like I would guide in Yellowstone Park or, you know, on the on the Madison and it's a complete boat show all day, every day, where here there's like four or five places that are, you know, really popular and you'll see people there. But I'd say 90 percent of the rest of the river is not occupied. 
And I float the river every day. I'm the only one with drift boats in all of Scandinavia. And I'm, I'm the only one seeing how many people are really on the river every day. And it's, it's always the same thing. There's just a few people, uh, there's people in the same spots. So you have a drift boat. You're, that's your game up there in Norway. You're floating, drifting the river. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. To kind of touch back on us moving here. Um, you know, we, we made the decision after we had our second child and, you know, just doing what's best for the family, my wife being closer to her family and giving my kids a cool opportunity to grow up in another country. And Norway's super friendly and, you know, everyone lives a pretty healthy lifestyle. There's not much crime. You know, people are, everyone's living well. And so it was just the obvious choice for, you know, raising, raising a family. And if anything happens to me, the kids still have a lot of family and free college, free healthcare, and, uh, you know, a, a happier surrounding country, you know? Um, and I mean, Norway is a small country. There's only 5 million people that live here. And the square footage of Norway is a little bit smaller than California. And it's a little bit bigger than Montana, but not by much. It's, so it's a really small country. Um, in 2020, right before coronavirus kicked in, like I was toying around with the idea of moving here for a while. I, I talked to the owner. Um, nobody else was buying this place because Norwegians don't necessarily want this lifestyle because they have you know, one whole month of vacation every July. And then they have a ton of time off throughout the year. I mean, I think it's like three to four months every year, everyone has time off. And so, you know, they, they work their job and then they go and fish, but I, I needed, I need to be able to fish whenever I need to and live right next to the river. And I want this lifestyle of just, you know, if I, if I can't fish, at least I'm on the water, helping somebody else, you know, reach their goals and spend time on the water. So, we were talking to the guy about purchasing the fish camp. Um, you know, the housing market in Montana was going crazy. So, you know, I own my house in Livingston. We put it up for sale. Two weeks later, the coronavirus started. And I'm like, oh, there goes my idea. We're not moving to Norway now. Um, and so I, I, you know, I was working on my 2020 season of guiding and all of a sudden we were like, you know what, we can still do this. Let's try to do this. You know, we're probably the only ones in the world who are buying a hotel fishing lodge in the middle of coronavirus, but let's do it. Um, so we put the house on the market. You know, I was planting fresh flowers in the front yard on one of my days off. And some people were checking out a house that was for sale next door. And I said, Hey, you guys thinking about buying that place? I'm putting my house on the market. Those people bought my house. And so I, I called the guy up who owned the fish camp. His name was Lars. Uh, he did him and his wife did a great job with this fish camp. And I told him like, Hey, I just sold my house. We're coming. We're going to get a bank loan. We're going to buy that place. We're doing it. Um, and so my wife and kids moved to Norway in August. I finished my guide season, uh, through September and packed up my house of 2020 of 2020 yep uh, rented a shipping container which was 10 grand so i shoved everything we owned a brand new adipose drift boat i bought i bought a brand new boat to have over here because i knew it would be the last one i ever owned um and i went with i went with the adipose because this river over here there's a few rapids but there's not a lot of very fast water a lot of it's like mellow and 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 flat and meandering really good dry fly water um with a few rapids but more of like a skiff river you know um, so, so I got a brand new boat, um, bought a 
brand new Moravia raft for a rental boat. I got some of those water masters um, from Big Sky Inflatables for rental boats as well. And uh, put the tags on the shipping container and kissed it goodbye. It was like a five-month process of my shipping container going through. During COVID. I mean, you're doing it right in the, the peak of COVID, pretty much. Right in the middle of COVID. It was complete you know, chaos, not knowing how everything would work out, but, you know, figuring we're already this far into it. We're just going to go for it and hope for the best. And I have a, I had a dog and had to figure out how to get my dog over there. And I looked at taking like friggin' cruise ships. He's a boxer. So he's got a short snout. He can't sit in the undercarriage of the plane because they have problem with their breathing, I guess. So I, I had to get him um, certified as an emotional uh, support animal which was great. You know, I, I got, I got him, got every, all the shots and everything else you needed. And, uh, I brought him to the airport like 10 times before the whole ordeal and he got used to it and it was all good. Um, I had a brand new 2019 truck that no one wanted to buy because it was Corona. And the day I was leaving my dentist, Max, a good friend of mine, Max, he bought my truck at the airport while I was getting on the plane to fly to Norway with my dog. It was like, couldn't have worked out any better, but it was a very stressful. I mean, I'll never do anything in life that stressful unless I go to war. You know, I was like one of the only people on the plane. My dog did great. Got to Norway, saw my wife. You know, America was going through, you know, people are dying. Everyone's, you know, freaking out about coronavirus. I get to Norway and it's like, it's mellow. Like no one's wearing masks. No one was wearing masks. Everyone was, you know, go to the mall, go shopping for Christmas. I'm like, what's going on here? Cause they, they took care of it at the beginning and kind of got everything situated under control. I mean, I don't know how, how it all goes, but it was more relaxed. Wow. That's crazy. So totally different world. So we're, we're over here freaking out. It's the end of the world. Literally people are thinking, right. You don't know what's going on. And in Norway, everybody's just like, okay, we got this. Well, I mean, I, I, I think that they just listen to science and they kind of got, got it under control, but there's been flare-ups and other problems. And, you know, I, I was dodging bullets. I didn't get Corona until last August. I got Corona in the middle of my guide season, had to take a few days off. And uh, then I was back to normal. It's all good. It was a chaotic journey. It was pure chaos, but it all, it all worked out. A shipping container got here. We got a loan from the bank to buy the lodge. And now we're just in the process of kind of redoing things and you know, there wasn't a fly shop here before, but now we have a, a full fly shop that has everything you need, um, to get things going. I'm, I've been an ambassador with G Loomis for a number of years through Yellowstone Angler. And now, um, over here with the, uh, G Loomis Nordics and, uh, also, uh, advisor with scientific angler. So we have, you know, G Loomis rods, scientific angler lines, um, thinking about, you know, the cool thing over here too, is that, there's a ton of brands and companies that you would never hear about being in the States. You know, one is, you know, Scandinavian company guideline that do a lot of nifty things and, and, and different things like that. And there's a guy in Denmark um, named Lars who makes these uh, Anderson pontoon boats that are, you know, similar to Watermasters but have uh, like a, a rowing frame on them. And he does a great job with those. And he's really the only one making like uh, floatable one person boats it's cool to be over here and see the difference on how Norwegians look at fishing and how they fish. 
What is the biggest difference when you look at, you know, and this is a question just more general, but you've said it a few times, kind of alluded to it. You got the U.S., you know, Montana, wherever, any state in the U.S. versus Norway, because I know some people here think like, man, and you're kind of painting the picture, but Norway might be a cool place, right? Like it, it's just different over there. How, how do you compare the difference living there? You've been there a while now versus the U.S. You know what I mean? What would you say? Is it worth, you know, because I mean, that's something I'm sure people are listening like, wow, actually Norway or Scandinavia, somewhere over there would be kind of cool. Like what, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, so where we live, like my picture of Norway was like fjords and mountains and you know it, there are some amazingly breathtaking beautiful places here in norway and where where we live is on the um east side kind of closer to the swedish border so we have these really big um fir forests you know pine forests that the trees grow really big with not a lot of branches and there's like this moss that covers the ground and it's like the Norwegians say, you can fall asleep at any time in the forest here because of how comfortable it is. And you never need to bring toilet paper because you've always got moss. And and Nor- Norwegians are very outdoorsy. They love to go and hike the mountains and they love to go and walk the rivers. And um, that's that's one of the really cool things. But Norway, where we live, is really beautiful. It's It's not like the fjord destinations, but, you know, we have... Last year, we had like five different groups of Americans come and we had two different groups of Australians and people from Denmark and Sweden and France and Italy, Canada. And I mean, it's amazing. We had people from South Africa. You know, it's it's amazing the amount of different um, clients that we have come here and, you know, their their skill levels and the way that they fish are all different. Norwegians spend a lot of time, you know, they don't rush into a situation from what I've seen, I'd say 90% of them really observe the water. They observe the fish feeding. They take their time and they focus on that one cast. They are fine sitting down, having a cup of coffee, grilling a hot dog and watching the river until they see those fish start to rise. And they are ninjas. They will hide behind bushes, be totally silent. You won't even see them and you'll walk up on them. Then they'll make this perfect snake roll spay style cast with a dry fly there's so much you know um so many bushes and trees along the bank there's so much brush along the bank that you can't really overhead cast on on these rivers so they're super effective with their snake spay style casting gotcha single-handed stuff single-handed rods yeah exactly and and my my friend christopher at was was uh teaching me and showing me a lot of that stuff and um, pointing out like, this is, you know, these are the, the ways that, that you do it. And then, you know, scientific angler makes a variety of lines, but they also make specific lines for the river that I'm on. They're, they're made like, uh, Flyfish Europe that works with scientific angler develop these lines that are specific for, you know, they have kind of an integrated running line into it. So you can really do a snake roll cast and present a dry fly you know, 50, 60 feet out where, you know, with, with like a, another line, you wouldn't be able to roll cast it, you know, 20 feet, you know, Norwegians are really into tying their own flies and they're, they make the most beautiful flies I've ever seen, you know, like, you know, Renee Harrop style technique and just dialing in exactly what the fly needs to be. And they spend a lot of time just observing, you know, they're not rushing into any situation they're not in a rush to catch a hundred fish. They're looking for one perfect fish. And that's, 
another reason, like I kind of knew that going into it, um, moving here. And that, that was kind of a big selling point on moving to Norway is that, you know, forget the rush to catch a hundred fish. It's not a, it's not about how many it's, it's going back to the basics of just enjoying, you know, enjoying the water and being there for that moment and connecting with one perfect fish. And I guess looking at that, so the people, it just sounds like everything is just more, would you say it's just kind of more relaxed, not as compared, you know, U.S. versus Norway? Like, it's not as much pressure. You're not going to run into some, like, um, road rage person on the on the freeway or something like that. No, ne- never, never. I've had a 100 situations like that in the States. Here, it's not like that at all. Everyone's relaxed. Everyone's really nice. Why do you think that is, John? It's kind of interesting because I always I wonder about that. Like the U.S. has a lot of great people, right? Is it just a numbers thing where there's just going to be because there's a 300 million people? No. To be honest, it's like like politics and like that just aren't aren't a big problem here. People aren't stressed out over political problems and drama that they see on their news feeds all the time. People have time to relax. Their healthcare system plays a part in it. You don't have to, like, you break your ankle. You don't have to worry about getting health care. Like, it's just there, you know? And you have time off, and you have lots of time off. You're not stressed or pressured. Yeah, lots of time off to relax. They understand that you need that in life. Um, you know, maternity leave for husbands and wives here is fantastic. And, you know, the the work pressure isn't there as well. Like, I've, it's hard to get fired over here from a job. You know, um, once you have a job, you kind of have it. That can be a good or bad thing when it comes to the job thing. But people are just more relaxed and 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 nice, and they understand. Like if you if you you know pull out in the in the parking lot at grocery store the wrong way, they're not going to beep at you. They understand. Okay, it just takes a second. It's all good. Um, you know, the weather here it's very similar to Norway or to to Montana, but it's so so where we are is like the same. Um, latitude is uh anchorage alaska so we're right below the arctic circle you know we don't have i shouldn't say it's the same as montana montana is a sunny beautiful place with blue skies you now 130 or 300 days a year here it's definitely a little bit more overcast a bunch more rain um, we've got three feet of snow outside right now and you know there's a lot of moisture in the air when it's cold out you'll see ice crystals floating around like it's friggin' christmas you know story or something like that but it's uh there's definitely a a very long spring and a very long fall and the sun bright and sunny humid um but typically there's not a lot of wind which is nice coming from livingston montana there's definitely days where it rains all day but not very heavy but then there's times where last year in particular i had a day guiding where i had to pump out my boat four times because there was like five inches of water oh wow so you get some rain oh yeah it it, it can drop an amazing amount of rain but that's you know it's typical it's norway you know the the west coast gets more rain than where we are here on the east coast because as i said we're about an hour away from the swedish border um and, uh, you know, we live in a very unique area. It's close to the city, but there it's more of everyone in Norway has like their house and then their, then their cabin. And this is a place where a lot of people have their cabins and they come to visit. I mean, I think there's 200 people living in our area, which is, you know, like 20 minutes away. There's, you know, 3000 people living, but 
you know, 5 million people are mostly concentrated into the cities of Norway. So there's a lot of wild land. There's a lot of backcountry areas where people can hike in and you won't see somebody for, you know, days. Drifthook has pre-packed fly assortments for every stage of your fly fishing journey. Their professionally curated fly fishing kits are crafted so you can catch more on your next outing. Each kit is organized by species and includes instructional videos and easy to follow guides. I've got the Nymph box right here in my pack and I've been loving this. They've got everything from the tiny zebra midges with a little flash or all the way up to their large go-to guide flies. This box has you covered for all conditions. And were you thinking Euro Nymphs? They got that covered as well. Beautiful Euro Nymph flies, all the key flies you need to get going, whether you're a brand new to it or a veteran, Drift Hook has the flies for you. Along with their Nymph boxes, they have dry flies, streamers, and all the education to go along with all these as well. These are fly shop quality flies, hand tied and inspected before being carefully packed neatly into these boxes. And Matt personally packs and prepares these boxes like he was tucking the kids in for bed at night. Cozy, comfortable, and just the right amount of love. Whether you're an experienced angler who needs to stock up on some flies or get a great gift for the family, uh, Drift Hook has you covered. Check them out right now. That's Drift Hook, wetflyswing.com slash Drift Hook, and use swing at checkout to get 15% off your next order. You support this podcast and small business by checking out Drift Hook right now. What is the size of Norway just uh, geographically, like miles versus, say, a state? Do you know just roughly? I was saying that earlier. So Norway's a little little bit smaller than California, and it's a little bit bigger than Montana, but most most of the populations live in the cities. And so Norway's very long. The further north you go, the more wilderness you see. And you know, up north is a place called Finnmark, and that's where most of the best Atlantic salmon fishing is. There's great Atlantic salmon near um, you know, uh, Tromsø and um further up in the in finnmark like near alta the alta river is famous it's like the king's king's river but the further north you go the more it's like tundra and it's you know there's not a lot of trees and there's not a lot of people the majority of the population's in the south okay perfect no this is good i'm glad we painted that picture because that's always a question you know how much rain how much snow how nice but it really is just kind of everything yeah it's not like it's sunny 300 days a year but it's just it's kind of a, just a relaxed area, it sounds like. And there's plenty of outdoor activities, plenty of fishing. And, you know, so like getting back to our lodge situation is, you know, we've I've got some uh, American clients that are coming over this season. Um, they I've guided them a bunch back in Montana and they need us to come pick them up at the airport, which is not a problem. We, we can pick people up from the airport. We can drive them up to our lodge. Um, we we have a cafe, but we're my wife and I are too busy to kind of cook for everybody at, at this time with our two kids. So every, every apartment has their own kitchen. Um, we have a bigger apartment above the fly shop that can hold up 12 people and that has a full kitchen. And, um, so people come and stay with us for as many days as they want. They can get guided trips. They can go and wade fish. We have like, I think it's 12 rental boats that people can take out and use, either using it on our pond in the backyard that has pike and perch or if they want to float the river and i would never have rental boats back in montana because people would hurt the boats or hurt themselves and maybe not survive 
you know, floating the Yellowstone, but this river is very mellow and I kind of give everyone a safety course and uh, operation course of the boat before they rent it. Um, it's a very mellow, mellow river with only a couple rapids and I, I drop people off at the river and then pick them up at the end of the day. And if I'm guiding, then they, they've got to kind of stick to my program. Either my wife picks them up or they have to wait till I'm done, which usually doesn't happen. But, you know, like back in Montana, I would do anywhere from a hundred, you know, 40 to 180 days guiding a season or here, you know, our first season, we did 56 trips last year. We did 80, I think it was 84 trips. And, um, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm pretty much the only one who, who helps except for, uh, my friend Martin that lives a couple, couple hours or a couple minutes away. And then we have another Danish guide named Henrik, who's been fishing this river for 30 years. And he's one of the fishiest guys I've ever met. He's 70 years old, but fishes every day. And he's just on another level of, you know, motivation to fish. And, and so Henrik has done quite a few trips with us and has also showed me the river and, you know, cause I've only been here for two seasons we're going on our third season and I've, I'm taking people out guiding and learning as I go. But, you know, the last two seasons I've learned quite a bit. And I mean, this, you know, I traded, you know, 30 amazing world-class famous rivers in Montana for this one river here in Norway. And this river has, you know, five different rivers in it with its structure and its depth and its speed and different sections. You know, there could be a crazy hatch of caddis, or these other big mayflies called Danicas in one, one stretch. And then further down, there could be all these little teeny baitis or baitis. Norwegians have different terms for flies here. But, you know, there can be a crazy amount of baitis hatching in one spot and then nothing happening five minutes down the river. So it's it's very localized hatching. But the uh, the bug life in this river, as I was saying, it's, it's it really is, it's equal to the Henry's Fork with the, the bug hatches that happen. And in the summer, we have the midnight sun, you know, so in June and July, the sun doesn't really go down. It looks like it's sunset at two in the morning. You can fish all night and the best hatches happen, you know, in the dusk anyways. Is it kind of like a, I mean, it sounds like it's similar, uh, well, probably different in a lot of ways, but Alaska, just the Alaska experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the real thing here is like people love dry fly fishing here. Streamer fishing is very new. And I mean... Streamer fishing is popular in Sweden, but not as popular in Norway because, you know, they're a little, little behind in the times, but maybe they're just focused more on the dry fly experience. But streamer fishing is definitely starting to pick up a little bit more. Our season goes from May 1st to uh, the end of November. And trout season in our river ends September 15th, but you're still allowed to catch grayling from the 15th until September 15th until the end of November. And there's like barely any Norwegians that come for grayling fishing after September anyway. But so the river really slows down. Um, the top three kilometers of our river are um, fly fish only. And the whole river is no barbs. You're allowed to have two hooks. And, you know, Norway, Scandinavia in general has been, a you know, a fishing culture for since the dawn of time where people catch and keep their fish. But catch and release has definitely become a lot more popular in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. And there's a lot of people promoting it. And especially on this river, I'd say 80%, 90% of fishermen here are catch and release, which is a great thing. And, uh, you know, I know one guy that caught the same fish four years in a row and it's a monster, beautiful orange, 
you know, copper colored fish. That's just a pure trophy. Um, the differences with with the catch and release in Montana versus here is quite large, but the word is definitely getting out on that. Yeah, people are getting known. What is the uh, you know? Let's say you're uh, you know you had a family, you know, sort of couple of kids, and you wanted to like experience you've never been out in that part of the world. Could you? Would that be pretty easy to put together? Say, hey, we're gonna hit you up, go grab one of your cabins. You got a couple of kids, go there, stay in the deal, maybe get a day of fish and then go check out Norway. Would that be a pretty cool trip for like a family thing? Absolutely. I'd say, you know, 50% of the people that are coming here are coming here just for that. You know, um, last year we had a couple groups that came to Norway just to fish, but there's a lot of people that are coming here to experience the whole thing and want to do a little fly fishing on the side. And that's not a problem. It's really easy to get to us. Um, you know, certain times of the year, it's a little bit harder to get one of the apartments from us because they do book up. But I'd say there's always some sort of availability. Is June and July, is that the best time to, you know, if you wanted to get like a nice, warm, whatever, sunny weather? Is that kind of the time or could it be? Yeah. Yeah. Our, our prime time is definitely like the middle of June through the middle of August. And the best time for dry fly fishing. I mean, we have 22 different types of mayflies hatching between the middle of May through the middle of August or the middle of July. Um, and then, then these big stone flies start to hatch here, which I'll get into later, but yeah, the, the prime time is definitely, you know, middle of June through the end of July. And, you know, it's a great jump off point because we're really close to Oslo and the airport. So a lot of people either visit us at the beginning of their trip or the end of their trip. And, you know, like it doesn't take long to drive from the East coast to the West coast of Norway. It's like, you know, about six hours. So, in one day, you can get from, from the airport to our lodge and then spend a, one or two days fishing and then go visit a fjord. I was going to say, what is the, what are the other attractions there? So if you're doing the sightseeing or just kind of experiencing Norway, what would be the things people are doing? Oh, yeah. Driving driving to the West Coast, like checking out Bergen and then driving north from there. And, you know, you could drive drive along the West Coast Highway and see, you know, 400 waterfalls and these mega fjords with granite cliffs that are you know, a thousand feet high and then drop straight down to this like beautiful teal blue water. That's, you know, you know, the, the, the fjords and you can see like these like little dolphins and seals and there's, there's a variety of things. And then you can also do some sea trout fishing. You know, the, the Norwegians are, you know, and that's free for anybody. You don't need to buy a fishing license to do any sea trout fishing. You just see some ocean shoreline or some fjord. Oh, you can just go for it. Yeah. Just go for it. And I mean, a black woolly bugger or a pink shrimp will get the job done. Can you camp out there? Is that like, could you just go do some? Like yeah. Yeah. Norway's got this rule called every man's right. And you can literally like <laughs> you would get shot in Montana or in Texas, but you can camp reasonably on somebody's property as long as it's not in their garden. Those are like the rules. Every man's right. You can, you can access the ocean from anyone's property. The thing is with Norwegians is the common sense and the respect level is so much higher they're not going to do anything shady or stupid on, on your property. You know, I, I'm sure there's a few bad seeds out there, but it's a common sense and respect thing that like, you know, every man's got the right to go in the woods and camp and enjoy nature. It's one of those things that it's understood and well-respected in the realm of like, Hey, we're going to camp on, you know, right next to the river, but you're not going to see us or hear us or anything like that. So, you know, there's a lot of hiking, a lot of camping, you know, Norwegians love the mountains and, uh, the high mountain lakes. There's a lot of high mountain lakes here. I mean, if you look at Norway as a whole, they have so much water, 
it's just mind-boggling and you know pike fishing isn't that popular here but it's getting more and more popular but they're the pike fishing here is insane i mean you know I, i've got a pike pond in the backyard and there's you know 10 15 pound pike right in the backyard and in the river you can catch a 13 kilo pike which is you know over 20 pounds and there's uh there's a lot of potential for different species when it comes to you know predator species and ocean fishing as well you know besides the the trout and the the salmon but you know our river you know people come from all over to our river just to catch grayling because the arctic norwegian grayling are beautiful and have this you know fin that's like red and purple and there's a lot of polish and czech and you know swedish and danish people that just come here for the grayling they would rather not catch trout they just want grayling and so you know our grayling populations are very large like if you find one grayling rising guaranteed there's four or five more and they're definitely in pods where the trout are a little more spread out but it's one of those things you never know what you're going to get unless you're really focused and you know what to look for because you can you can see the difference between a trout and a grayling feeding quite easily if you're used to it you know if you if you know what to look for. yeah what is the difference between a trout and a grayling feeding on the dries the grayling definitely like uh they come up like a dolphin they are a little more splashy if your eyes are right you can see their red fin but it can be tricky it can be tricky because the trout in this river as i was saying they have this orange copper look to them but sometimes underwater they look red like bright red. I'll share some photos with you if that, if that works, but the, the fish get this really amazing color. And sometimes you can, see the water here is so clear. I mean, it's it's a darker river. So it's like uh, got this, it's almost like the big hole river where it's like a little whiskey colored, rusty colored water. So it's dark, but it's still gin, it's still gin clear. So when you are throwing a streamer out there and you're stripping it in, you'll have a brown trout following it and you'll see how red and orange it is and you're just you just get so excited you might screw up <laughs> because you're like oh my god oh my god because you could see them all the way in yeah you can see them from you know 100 feet out chasing your fly but the 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 real difference with the way that the trout eat here they're very sippy you know like you'll just see you can barely see their mouth and you know a couple things that some of the the better fishermen here on the river have taught me is that the smaller the rings the bigger the fish can be on this river so if you see a fish barely sipping like barely eating it can be a two-foot fish easily it can be a two a two kilo fish that like last year in particular i was fishing under this log jam you know a cast that you know norwegians love the impossible cast the impossible fish and i've definitely embraced it a little bit more being here you know and trying to find the most difficult fish to catch is is you know the way to do it and so i was working this fish underneath a, a log jam and it was barely coming up and you know my the montana side of me would have been like oh that's that's fish i don't even care about it but after it ate my little size 18 emerger you know cdc fly it it gave me a work for you know 15 minutes almost it took me to land this fish it was very big and i was fighting it on six and a half tippet and it was uh it was definitely a struggle and it was probably around 21 inches long but it was so fat it it was just kicking my ass i had to i had to give my arm a rest afterwards for quite a while but it's it's one of those things like the smaller the smaller the rings from it rising the bigger the fish can be that's a good tip to remember no it sounds awesome i think um 
I think maybe we'll take it out of here a quick uh, here with the, the two minute drill. This is my uh, opportunity to try to do some rapid fire questions for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's jump into this. So um, basically, you know, I mean, I think you've painted the picture today of what we're looking at. It, it sounds like, you know, one of those places like you have to get to, or do you see, you know, as far as your, you know, clientele now or into the future, do you see more kind of us folks heading out that way? It seems like maybe it seems pretty easy to get there. Do you think you'll see more of that as you move forward? Absolutely. I mean, uh, the, the real problem before was, uh, um, Americans and foreigners not having a destination where, you know, they can kind of figure everything out, you know, have everything kind of splayed out for you on a even keel as in like, you can get some guiding. We'll take you out in the drift boat. We'll show you what it is. Cause a lot of Norwegian guiding is like, uh, Hey, I'll take you out on a guided trip and they're going to fish too. They'll, pu- they'll put you in the right position, but they're going to fish as well. Where, where I, I do it, like I just row the boat and assist and teach and show you everything you need to know to get to the level you want to be at. You know, my main focus is having a great time and teaching you as much as you can. And the fish are just a big bonus. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've got, we've got multiple American groups coming this year that have contacted us through our website, rainafishcamp.com. And, you know, every, all the information's there in, in English. That was another thing is that there's not a lot of information in English about the fly fishing in Norway and we've made it more universal. Um, and, and, and the, the, another thing I meant to talk about earlier is all Nor all Norwegians can speak English. Like they love the American culture. They love Americans. Um, it's like a second language to them. I haven't run into anybody who can't understand me or speak English. And my Norwegian is getting there, but the problem is everyone likes to practice their Norwegian or their English with me. So I have a hard time learning Norwegian, even though both my daughters, both my daughters have lived here for a short time. They both speak full Norwegian as well as English. Kids are smart. That's awesome. Um, you mentioned, um, you mentioned earlier about, uh, the almost died experience when you were swimming in the river. Is that a long story? Could you give us a little snippet on that? Yeah. So I was, I was fishing this, this stretch of river on the uh, Gaula river and I was by myself and the day before I fished it, it was fine. It was no problem. That night it rained a ton in the mountains and the river was swollen twice as big as it was the day before. But this is like my five or six days of salmon fishing that I might only ever get. And I'm fishing some of the best water on the planet, but I'm doing it by myself. And so I get out there, I'm wade fishing. The river's coming up a little bit, but, you know, it's a pretty mellow river bottom. I've been wade fishing since I was seven years old. And, but the boulders are huge. You can't see the bottom of the river. You take a step and the boulders up to your waist. So you trip on it. And so I'm just so excited about potentially catching a salmon and I had four of them kick my ass already. I lost four fish and I was ready to seal the deal. And so the first time it happened, the river was up really big and I was wade fishing a little further out than I should have been. And, you know, I'm not efficient with the spay rod. I'm just winging it out there hoping for the best. And so you start at the top and you work your way down. I thought I hooked something, but it was probably just at the bottom so I wiggled my rod out and I was frustrated, took a step and tripped over a rock. But the current was so heavy that it knocked me down. And I was holding this brand new, I was holding this brand new G Loomis ask with, and I wasn't, I wasn't letting go of it. And uh, so, so I was swimming for a good two minutes 
And luckily I had my waiter belt tight and, you know, waiter jacket was fine. And I, I, there was no way I was going down. I wasn't letting the river take me today, but it is a common thing that, um, you know, older men die on the salmon river. It's, it's like a, it's a known saying in Norway, you know, there's four or five people every year who die on salmon rivers because salmon rivers can be big and serious and very fast. And, you know, the rocks are, you know, slippery and just like Montana and everywhere else, there's an element of danger in all of it. And so that's when I took my first swim. And then the next day, right before I caught my first Atlantic salmon, I, I hooked a salmon, had it on. I never set the hook good. I never pulled back good because it was, it ate the fly, it ran. And then I lifted up the rod and I was like, okay, I got it. And about 20 seconds later, it was gone. I felt defeated. It was 11 o'clock at night. I was by myself. I fell again. I got soaking wet, went back to the car, changed, went back out there, swung again, hooked in, landed the fish. But it's definitely, uh, you don't want to be alone when you're out there. That's for sure. Unless you're, unless you're very familiar with the river system. And that was probably the, the closest I've ever come to like, holy shit, I can't get out. I can't get up. Cause I was just floating down. Like every time I tried to get up, I would just get pushed down again and pushed down again. So it is, it's, that'll, that'll live with me for a while, but we learn from our mistakes and, you know, a little bit of risk. You got, you got to risk a little bit to win. Yeah. I hear you. No, I I thought you were going to mention something about foot entrapment. I know that's something with big boulders, getting your foot caught under a boulder, right? A lot of people drown that way. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, it was more, it was, it was more of a slip up, but everything was good. It was a good story. Yeah, perfect. Um, so you mentioned the dragon. Is that your main? I'm not sure if you had any other umpqua flies you want to give a shout out to, or maybe some streamer flies that people would love for browns. Yeah, I, I tie a variety of, of flies, and um, you know the the dragon is definitely the the most popular and definitely the one that's had the most luck. You know, Wade Felon had some great luck on that fly. I mean, the thing the thing with my my fly, I don't advertise it a lot. It's, it looks like a couple other flies. I've been tying it since like 2012 before a lot of these flies came out and that it's just worked for me very well. I've caught a lot of really big fish and not only me, but other people like my clients. I get a lot of clients back in the, in the States through Yellowstone angler and big hole lodge that just want to streamer fish. And, you know, uh, one guy, Dave, when I was working at big hole lodge, he got five very big fish in one day on the streamer and one just mega trophy on on that streamer um and then like a couple weeks later wade felon got his fish of a lifetime on it and uh you know it's it's not only it's not only the fly but it's the technique the way i fish it but it's produced a lot of big fish for a lot of people over the years and it's it's one of those things even even in montana or when i went to arkansas um on the white river i caught some big fish on it and then over here in Norway, I mean, the third day of the season, it worked. It caught the biggest fish of the season over here, you know, 25 inch, four kilo, you know, that's the goal. Cause like in, in Montana and America, like I need a two footer or a 30 inch or it's like four kilo, but the fish in this river can get up to seven kilos. Reminds again, four kilo, seven kilo, how many pounds or inches? Oh God, it's, that, that's my problem. I'm so bad with it, but I'm pretty sure four kilo, like in, in, Norwegians have like a way of looking at it with salmon. Yeah, it's 8.8. It's 8.4 kilos is 8.8 pounds. Yeah, yeah, around eight pounds. And a seven kilo is, you know, close to 20 pounds. Yeah, seven is 15.4 pounds. That's huge. And they have like a, an app on their phone where they can 
get the measurement. Yeah, from the girth and everything. Yeah, or if you if you just have the weight, you can get the get the length of it. But it always it doesn't always it doesn't always play true because some fish are bigger than others when it comes to how how round they are, you know. And the 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 fish on the Rainer River get very round. You know that you might get a fish that's only twenty inches long, but it's you know eight pounds because of how wide wide it is and how plump it is. Well, I know with steelhead, you know, there's a well, and probably a lot of trout, there's a formula yeah you could put in the girth and the length and i think another measurement and they'll give you the estimate on pounds um, but we'll maybe put a link if we can find that in the show notes also wade fell and you mentioned that episode we did with him i'll put a link to that one as well he talked about that fish that he caught with the dragon and then we'll obviously have a maybe a dragon video of you tying it or somebody out there tying that fly so we can take it further there's a link on youtube with that with that fly being tied yeah i saw that i saw that that's awesome yeah i mean it's it's uh overall you know it's more just persistence and confidence and and try different things while fishing i mean a lot of people do the same things when it comes to streamer fishing and dry fly fishing and doing different things and trying different flies like when i when i first moved here they told me there's no stone flies in the river or there's a few stone flies but the fish don't eat them and they're not big but my first year guiding here you know, I'm on the river every day where some people might stand in the same spot all day and not see a stonefly. When I'm floating the river, I see all these different bugs. You know, in Montana, the stoneflies start on the lower river and work their way up. But on, on this river, they kind of pop randomly all over the place. And there's a huge population of stoneflies. So one thing that not many people are doing is throwing big foam stonefly patterns where that's like my bread and butter come the middle of July. Like around July 15th, 16th, the stoneflies start hatching. And the bigger fish will eat those dry flies. And it's, I was, I was very sad when I was leaving Montana thinking I'm not going to be able to hopper fish or throw stoneflies anymore. But over here, you can. There, there's this uh, stonefly called the Dino Cross, which, you know, it's, it's like a, the size of a golden stone. Yeah, it's, a, you know, I always call them the dinosaurs. But they're, they, get, they get pretty big and there's quite a few of them. There's enough of them to keep the fish interested and it's not like a two week thing. It goes from July, the middle of July, all the way to the end of September, I'm catching fish on them and I'm seeing them fly around. So it's, it's a, it's a fun thing to do. So while we're floating, we'll, we'll throw the stone flies. And then when we see fish rising for betas or, you know, like, you know, sulfur, sulfurs or anything like that, then we'll stop anchor up and throw sulfurs and betas at these fish. But while we're on the cruise, while we're on the move, we're throwing big stone flies and slamming them down and stripping them a little bit and giving that drift. But it's for, for Norwegians, it's a totally new experience and they love it. You know, it's like, I didn't think fish would eat something like this where it's it, when they do get a fish, you know, we're throwing three X fluorocarbon on these big stone flies and you can really, you know, it's the only way to get a fish that's over, you know, as you'd say, four kilos in Norway on a dry fly. Not the only way, but but it's 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 easier than fighting a fish on a size sixteen betis with five x tippet. Right on all. I was just looking up, searching up uh, some flies there, and I tracked down our episode uh, with uh, Erland uh, Nielsen, who was on in episode two eighty six. He's up there. He's a Euro nymphing. He's on their team, right? You know Erland. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. So he's uh, we did a, did a good little summary. So that was our other uh, the, the last Norway episode over a hundred episodes ago. Um, 
But no, this has been great, John. I think uh, you've definitely uh, painted a picture of a place that, you know, I think I'd like to go to. I think a lot of people would. It sounds like an amazing spot. Um, we'll send everybody out to uh, reinafishcamp.com if they want to connect with you or if they have questions. And uh, yeah, thanks thanks yeah. for yeah sharing all the, the, uh, the insight today and this amazing place and looking forward to keeping in touch with you. Yeah. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Raina Fish Camp and on Facebook at Raina Fish Camp. And if you guys have any questions, I can always call people back in the States. And, um, you know, we, we take bookings year round for, for the summer season and yeah, feel free to, to give us a call and set up a, a trip with you and your family. I mean, we, we do, we do family trips. We had a couple kids last year that were, you know, age seven, seven and eight, and they had some, some fish and had some great times. So it's all good. That's it. You might find, uh, some families heading over there and not coming back. Right. <laughs> if they get, uh, yeah. like you guys, you get, that's the cool thing about your story. You know, I mean, you guys just took a leap, you know, especially during the most crazy time, but you did it. And now you probably look back on it and say, you know, what if I hadn't have done that? Right. Exactly. This is, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to kind of, uh, take over a, a fishing lodge here and, kind of re redo it. So it's, you know, we get a lot of people that come here that say, you know, before it was just a place to sleep, but now there's something going on and we have a, a, a big area in the backyard with, you know, disc golf and, and, um, you know, a big grilling area with these Norwegian, they call them, uh, bull pannas where, you, you know, you can have a fire, fire pit and grilling, um, little atmosphere out, out in the backyard. And there's, uh, there's definitely more, more and more people that are coming here just to hang out and you know talk fishing and we do little fly tying events and it's a it's turning into more of a community uh for the river than than just a place to sleep it's awesome very cool all right john we'll keep in touch with you and talk to you soon yeah sounds good thanks for having me so there it is we made it over to norway it's one of those places you got to get to right it seems like uh Norway, that whole part of the world is a place that we got to get to. I'm glad we were able to check in with John and uh, and get a feel for his program. Excited to hopefully get over there and put this together. Hope uh, you can do that as well. Wetflyswing.com slash 415. 415 will get you all the links and uh, and a link to the Reign of Fish Camp. Links to all the videos, anything else we uh, talked about today. Check it out right now. Quick listener shout out before we get out of here. Simon checked in with us by email and he checked in and said he is mad on trout spay spends most of his time in freshwater looking to swing the two-hander fishing mostly the commando setup uh and he noted that he does help uh opst with some of their repping over in new zealand simon also mentioned uh that uh saltwater uh fly fishing is big for him snapper yellowtail kingfish um he's here in the city in auckland and he says he's just trying out carp at the moment and had a smelt-feeding brown trout drift absolutely bomb fish-wise, but found a whole lot of spooky koi to play with. Damn exciting. Man, Simon, I could hear you talk all day. Love it. Thanks for checking in by email and uh, definitely excited to hopefully put together an episode for you. If you want to get a shout-out on this episode, just like Simon did, reach out to me, Dave, at wetflyswing.com. Anytime or on social media, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear where you're coming from the world. I know we have people in every state in the U.S., in Canada, in over 80 countries around the world, but I haven't heard from everybody yet. So if I haven't heard from you, now's the time. Check in with me, Dave, at wetflyswing.com. Let me know where you're coming from. I'll give you a shout out on this podcast. And uh, and more importantly, I'd just love to uh, make a connection if we haven't talked yet. That's the best way to do it. 
since uh, since it's not that easy uh, through the podcast, uh, send me an email. Let's do this. We're just wrapping up a big giveaway, the Euro School. Uh, we just finished up the Euro giveaway, and we are still getting ready to fill a few slots for this giveaway. If if it's still open right now as I speak, you can send me an email again, Dave at Wet by Swing, and make a note in the subject line. Just say Euro Nymphing School. This is the big trip. If you want to get a slot, uh, this is your chance. We've got a limited number of spaces. I'm going to be headed over there to two of the great rivers in not only eastern Idaho, but in the west, in the country. We're going to be fishing for not only uh, Euro nipping and getting the, t- uh, the techniques down by one from one of the best, but we're also going to be digging into whatever else meets us out there, including some dries. If we get a little dry action on one of the great dry fly rivers in the country, we're going we're gonna to have some, some flies in our satchel to get ready for this one. So that's what we got going next week. We're getting turned right around. We're doing another giveaway for a trip to the Stillwater School. We're heading up to BC. We're heading way up to BC, way up north to one of the great places, one of the great lodges. And uh, and you check in with me, Dave, at wetflyswing.com if you want to get a feel, uh, get a chance to win this giveaway as well and uh, and get a taste of remote British Columbia and the Stillwater School with Phil Roy. He's going to be leading the way at this school. Uh, as always, Phil is our guru on the Stillwaters. If this is next week, you can check it out right now, wetflyswing.com slash giveaway. Uh, giveaway will get you to that link. Uh, if you're hearing this right now, a week after the fact, and it's open, you can enter for that right now. Get a chance to win a trip up there and all the gear we have in this prize pack. That would be amazing. All right, I'm getting out of here. I hope you are having a good afternoon. I hope you're having a good evening or good morning, wherever in the world you are right now. And I look forward to catching you on the water or catching up with you online. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.